Rebecca and I and our youngest daughter, Laura, and our niece, Erica, went to Colorado. And one of the places that we went while we were there on that particular trip was up on Imogene Pass. Have any of y'all ever been up there? Imogene Pass is the second highest pass in Colorado. It's 13,144 feet. It's between Uray and Telluride. And you take a county road to get there, but you have to have a four-wheel drive vehicle to go on this particular county road. Wow, what a view. If you're ever up there, go, go. I would encourage all of you to go. You know, it's amazing what you can see when you get a little elevation, right? When you get a little elevation, you can see a long, long way. The transfiguration is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. We read about it, or Frank read about it to us earlier this morning. We read about it in Matthew chapter 17. We can also read about it in Luke chapter 9 or Mark chapter 9. It was handy of Mark and Luke to do it like that. It's easy to remember, right? But today we're going to read about it from Peter's point of view. And our uh, lectionary reading this morning comes from 2 Peter the first chapter, verses 16 through 21. Consider the word of the Lord. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God who made the beautiful mountains and the glorious valleys, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Amen. So, now Peter, see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote about the transfiguration, but they weren't there. They weren't there, right? It tells us real clearly, uh, depending upon whose version you're reading, but even in the, in the version that Frank read this morning, it said, who did Jesus take with him? Peter and James and John. That's who he took with him when he went up on the mountain. 
Jesus was doing several things here. One of the things, though, that he was doing, which is something that I've reminded us of that is still so vitally, vitally important today, I, would, I could almost say especially today, is Deuteronomy 19.15. What does Deuteronomy 19.15 say? Deuteronomy 19.15 says, everything should be established by two or more witnesses, right? You don't take one person's word for anything. You know, I got thrown off jury duty one time. You know, not that it upset me. Um, or I, I, I guess, I guess, it, I guess it's improper for me to say I got thrown off jury duty. I didn't get selected to be the juror because, because in the voir dire there, when the, you know, the attorneys are trying to pick out who the jurors are going to be, you know, they're trying to pick the ones they can most easily manipulate, all right? That's the name of the game. The judge said, the judge said in part of the opening remarks that in this particular case, there was only one witness, one witness. And that witness happened to be a police officer, but nevertheless, there was only one witness. And I approached the bench and I said, your honor, I said, uh, I'm of the belief that if the one witness was my wife, I still wouldn't take part in this, you know? It's nothing to do on any particular person's integrity, but it's just the fact that you don't convict somebody on one person's witness, in my opinion, and also according to Scripture. So Jesus took with him Peter and James and John so they could see what was going on. Now this is an interesting point. This is an interesting, really interesting point if you look at it. If you look at the story, if you read back in Matthew chapter 16, or if you look there in Mark chapter 8, or earlier in uh, Luke chapter 9, depending again on who you're looking at, I think Luke says eight days, Matthew says six days, Mark says six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain apart by themselves. But where had they been shortly before this? They'd been in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is probably, or at least scripturally, the furthest north that Jesus took the disciples. It's at least a two days walk from Galilee to get up there. It's a pretty good hike. And you know what's at Caesarea Philippi? It's the gates of Hades, okay? There's a place up there. They've got a cave, and one, and one of the, uh, the mythology there is, is that that's where Pan, the goat god, comes out, and they have all sorts of festivals and stuff there. That's where, that's where Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter said what? He said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said what to Peter? He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but the Spirit, right? It's revelation knowledge. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. And then, and then he says what? He says to Peter, it makes sense when you think about where they were. He said, and my church shall be built on this rock. Now, we can... We can go places there, too. I don't think he was talking about Peter. I think he was talking about the church being built on revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit. 
when, when he said, the Spirit has revealed this to you, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, right? Makes sense when you think about the fact that they're standing in front of the gates of Hades. Well, anyway, six days later, he takes them up on the mountain, and there they see Moses and Elijah, and the voice comes from heaven. So Peter says, we're not led by myths, the myths that are around. Now I would ask all of us to consider this morning what myths we might suffer under. You see, there were people there, there were people there in that time that, told, that were saying, well, you know, Jesus hadn't come back yet. Maybe he's not going to come back. Maybe this is just a myth, right? Can you imagine that? There were people in that time, in the first century, who were impatient. Wow. They didn't even have cell phones or microwaves <laughs> or anything else, and they were impatient. Wow. They couldn't believe that Jesus hadn't come back yet. But see, Peter says, you know, we were there. We saw it. Moreover, Jesus told them what? He said, don't y'all tell anybody about this until I'm risen from the dead. Don't go down there and tell everybody that you saw me up on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. Which again, now, you know, that in itself, you got Moses and Elijah there. Well, what does that say about life after death? Peter and James and John were privy to that. But we still believe in myths, right? This is a great season for it, right? A lot of people still believe the myth that there are politicians that have their best interest at heart, right? <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, there, there, there are people that actually believe that, you know? And, um, and there are people that'll get worked up about it, and they actually believe that these people care about them, right? That's a myth. There are people that, you know, uh, if there ever was one, there are people that believe in the myth of security, right? There's security, right? The only thing there's security in is God. Anything else that you believe in for security is a myth. You know, there are people that believe the myth that if they just get the right car, if they just get the right house, if they just get the right spouse, right, then uh, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. There are all sorts of myths around us. Uh, I, could, I could go on for hours, but you all probably wouldn't appreciate it. And then he says what? And then he says what? We heard, we heard the voice, you know. Not only were they eyewitnesses of Moses and Elijah and Jesus' transfiguration, they were ear witnesses. They heard God. They heard God saying what was going to happen and who Jesus was. And we still have the chance today to hear God, and, and, and all of you know that Still, the, the clearest way God continues to speak to us is in Scripture, just like, just like we're talking this morning. God speaks to us in Scripture. But there's an important thing about this when you think about it. You know, if we, are, if we hear what's going on, like Peter and James and John heard what was going on, it ought to affect the way we live, right? Because we do know that Jesus is coming back. We knew, know that Jesus was God's son, that he's coming back. Lent is a real good time for us to prepare. Historically, it is a time for us to prepare to be 
the kind of people awaiting Jesus' return, right? So that we'll be glad when he gets here, right? So that we'll be glad when he gets here. And then he says what? He says, we also have a more sure prophecy. Wow, that's pretty good. Because they'd already had the prophecy. They knew there were going to be other prophets. That was part of what Moses said. Moses said back there in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that there would be other prophets after him. And it, and it goes on to say that the way that you would know whether a prophet was a real prophet or not was that what that prophet had to say came to pass, right? Came to pass. And all of these things that Jesus said and told his disciples came to pass and will continue to come to pass when he returns, when he returns. But the sure witness, the sure witness that we have that's surer than the prophecies that have already come along Come from where? He tells us there in the, last, in the last bit of this, the last verse I read, they come from the Holy Spirit, right? They come from the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I'd like for all of us to do as we enter into Lent, as we, we, we're finishing up with Epiphany here. Epiphany meaning the manifestation, right? The coming of Jesus the first time and all of that. We're, we're fixing to enter into Lent when we have an opportunity, when we take an opportunity, I should say, as a church, this is a traditional historic thing that the church has done that's very good, for us to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves. But in examining ourselves during Lent, I would also like for us all to, to look around, to pay attention, and look for the other epiphanies. Look for the other places we see Jesus, where we see the sure word of prophecy. And then here's what I want us to do. I want us to tell other people about it, right? That's what Peter's doing. He's making a, test, he's making a testimony. He's refuting the people in his society that say, all this stuff that you're talking about is a bunch of myth, right? He's refuting all that. When I think about standing up on Imogene Pass, or even on, more recently, I've been up on Mount Mitchell. Some of you probably, Will Taylor, have you ever been, I'll, I'll just, you know, don't you hate that when people single you out, you know? But since you're from North Carolina, see, I'll, have you ever been up on Mount Mitchell? Mount Mitchell is in North Carolina, okay? And this, this shocked me. Mount Mitchell is only like 6,000 and something feet high, you know? Did y'all know that's the highest mountain east of the Mississippi? But even standing up there, you can see a long, long way. And wherever you're standing with Jesus, you can see a long, long way. Whether it's up on the mountain or maybe even down in a valley. But I want you to look for Jesus. I want you to look for his appearing. I want you to listen for the Holy Spirit and what's going on. I was at a memorial service yesterday for a dear friend of mine who was a member of a congregation I served. I got to take part in it, but one of the, one of the, a beautiful, beautiful thing happened. Somebody spoke about him, and when they were talking about him, you know, to me, this is one of those epiphanies and one of those movements of, of God 
that we can tell each other about. We can tell each other about to encourage each other. After all, that's what's been going on all along. We tell each other about God's love and goodness. But what he said was, this particular gentleman, his name was, his name was Jim. He said when Jim retired, he told him, he said, you know, I'm so glad that I've retired because there's so much I want to do. There's so many things I want to do. And he said, one of the things, he, he, said, there, he said, there are so, so many people that need help. You know, usually when somebody says something like that, you think they want to go travel around the world or, I don't know, what, whatever people do for pastime. But he said, no, there are a lot of people out there that need help. And he said, one of the things, one of the things I want to do before I die, and I'm not sure whether he got it done or not, is I want to visit all the people in the nursing home because there are people there that have just been forgotten. And they need to know that somebody cares about them. So as we enter into Lent, I want you to look for God. I want you to testify to God's goodness. And remember, if you want to get into the promised land, listen to God.